Well, only two weeks ago, we were talking about Morgan Riley and his uh, suspension after that hit, and we were commenting on uh, what might happen to the Leafs. And look at the Leafs. Since that time, they have won seven in a row. Morgan Riley is now back, and they are on a hot streak that uh, the Leafs haven't seen in 21 years. And welcome to What Do You Know About Sports? Gary Jeffries, a former coach, Lance Roberts, former referee, and myself, Randy Steinman, former sportscaster. And wow, fellas, the Leafs, Lance, uh, what's going on here with this hockey team? The Morgan Riley suspension almost seems to have been a catalyst, a, a, a catalyst to get this team going. Well, it's been uh, seven, seven games in a row. I think that they've won the last, been done that for quite a while. I think since ten years. But uh, I think what happens, I mean, like we talked about before, was that uh, when someone comes out of the lineup like that, uh, his play um, generated other guys to get chances to play. And I think the way he rushes the puck a lot, there was some thought process that, you know, caused other people to have to do different things in the game. And, and now they've had a lot stronger defensive structure in all the games they've been playing. And that's really been helping their goaltending also, which is always a good thing for the, you know, to, for the team. But I think overall, I think that part of it is just Austin Matthews is taking the team on his back. He's carrying it. He, he wants to – he's showing the way. And, I mean, he's the leader on that team without a doubt. I think that uh, – I saw that John Tavares was kind of moved back down to a second-line role or something. But um, if they get that uh, Austin Matthews and, the, and their scores rolling like they can, Max Domi's been starting to chip in, which has helped a lot. But overall, I think their overall defensive structure has really changed a lot with, with Morgan Riley out. Yeah, not the fault Morgan Riley. I just think that now there's a different direction for players to stay back a lot more. And I think that's helped the goaltending and their work in their own zone. Yeah, I, I totally agree, Lance. They, they're, they're certainly defensively much more responsible. And, and it's interesting how, you know, it, 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 it took something like, uh, Riley being out of the lineup and, uh, you know, for, for this to happen. Um, you know, I, I'm sure the message that, uh, that Keith has given that, uh, that hockey team from day one is the same message. I, I don't think the message has changed. Um, I, I just think the players, uh, they recognize when he's out of the lineup uh, that we have to be more responsible. We have to get back. We look back there and we see all these Marlies uh, you know, playing on our back end. Um, so, so we have to get back. We have to help. Uh, we have to win those battles in the corner. We can't be getting out of the zone quickly, uh, looking for the long pass up at the other blue line. Uh, we we got to play in our end. And, uh, you know, and that's exactly what they've done for this, this seven-game stretch. Um, and, you know, I, I wonder a little bit. Uh, you, you tell me what you think. Um, you know, like I said, the message was delivered, I'm sure, day one. Um, is it a little bit of coaching uh, or is it a little bit of players not being coachable or maybe a combination of the two that you couldn't get them to do that before this happened uh, with, with Riley? Well, I think Sel um, Sheldon Keefe is he's doing a great job. I think that he's, you know, the way he talks to the media, the way he runs that team overall, I think he's done a pretty good job in trying to get them to play in the, in the style he wants them to play. You can see the frustration in some of the game previously to when Riley was there that, you know, players being, you know, the goaltender being left out to dry in so many situations. 
So I think that this put him in a position to be able to really kind of, you know, work hard on that on that aspect of the game to get them to work harder on the defensive side. And I think you're right, Gary, that, that that message has gotten through to them. Guys, do you think the pro teams buy into the whole uh, it's us against the world message? Uh, like you see it in college a lot and you see it in high school a lot where everybody hates us and it's us against the world. Um, like Deion Sanders, the playbook in, in Colorado right now seems to be that. But with a, with a team like the Leafs, when they went through some adversity there two weeks ago with Morgan Riley, I don't know, do professional teams and professional players buy into that as much? They can use that. I think that that happens a lot. They'll use the things that we have to, we have to do it on, you know, we're fighting against everybody and all that kind of things can come out in regards to Riley being left being given five games they probably didn't agree with it they thought well let's go to work for him let's let's you know, let's back him up let's you know go out there and take him on because you know we're going to do this for morgan riley i think there's a lot of that that went on there like i mean i think he's well loved in that room so i, I don't i don't think that isn't that maybe something also that could have happened randy for sure yeah i, I think it happens a little bit rand I, I think uh you know with the leafs and the scrutiny that they're under by the media uh i think they they use that uh, and uh, I think uh, when they were struggling there before the, the Riley incident, uh, I remember Marner did an interview and he got blasted. He, he got blasted for it uh, because he, he kind of gave that that kind of answer um, that, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, you guys are honest all the time and, and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, and kind of it, it is us against you and, and uh, you know, we're playing great and leave us alone uh, kind of thing. And, and, uh, so I, I think, yeah, they, they can use that. Um, but uh, um, I don't know, whatever's going on right now, that uh, you know, let, let's let's keep it up. It's like Randy, like you, your reporters can kind of cut to the edge sometimes with players, and they will rally around themselves in that regard. Yeah. But I think I listen to reporters also, and in the sense that, I mean, the goal—it's such a, a thing about goaltenders and and different things like that, and how they're you know. They're all about, you know, these goaltenders have to win games and stuff like that. I tell you what, it's a five-man, uh, you know, it's a six-team hockey you know, game with guys on the ice. They have to work together. The goaltenders only one player. He does make great saves, but if there's times the goal, if they're so wrapped up on putting different goaltenders as this guy, like, you know, you look at Samson off, he was no good at one point. Wool's no good at one point. Yeah. The reporters, that's such an easy target for them to go after goaltenders. And I think that when a team plays defensively structured and do the job that they have to do on their own end, goaltenders look really good at the end of the day. Yeah. I, mean, I think, sorry. I was going to say, a whole other topic sometime would be uh, markets uh, with reporters that make it hard for teams to win. And, and I'm this would this would be a great topic sometime uh, about how I truly believe that the uh, Canadian NHL teams, especially Toronto, uh, suffer a bit from all the scrutiny that's placed on them by the media and uh, the all the off ice stuff that is going on, you know, with reporters in the dressing room and it, it makes it hard for teams to win. But we can talk about that some other time, maybe once the playoffs get here. Yeah, I was just going to say that the one thing I, I give Keith credit for, um, he, he's really made some changes uh, in, in playing time, and I think it, it's it's really worked. Um, 
And, you know, the reward for playing the way I want you to play is, you know, you, we'll give you playing time. Uh, and if you don't play the way we want you to play, we're going to take it away. And, uh, you know, he, he, as, uh, as Lance said, he, Tavares, after he came back when he was sick there, he, he's now playing on the third line. Uh, Domi, who, who's been playing hard and, and not been rewarded as much as you, we'd like, but, you know, he's now the second line center. Um, you know, by the, the McMahon kid, uh, you know, he, he's playing more minutes. Uh, and uh, and I think that's great. They've got Brody playing on the left side, and he's playing about 18 to 20 minutes instead of 24 or 25. Uh, same with Riley now that he's back. He's playing about 20 and not 24 and 25. So they spread out the, the, the minutes that the kids are playing. Uh, the kids that are playing responsibly are getting more minutes. Uh, and I think it works. And uh, I think, and the, the other team that, that uh, you know, we, we can reference that the same thing happened uh, is Edmonton. They went on that 16-game roll, and the way they were playing was totally different than they were the, the way they started the season. And uh, playing in their end uh, was important. They got away from it here the last couple of weeks, and, you know, they're, they're playing 500 hockey right now. But, uh uh, it, it's it's something that uh, it, it's imperative. Uh, it, you know, it, it's a game. Um, you know, where you have to play offense and defense. Uh, you, you you start like football, where you go out. You know, twelve guys on offense and twelve guys on defense. This is a game where you have to play both. You can't just play one way. And uh, I think the the message has been delivered and and, and received and. And, uh, boy, it's, it's fun to watch them right now. And they're still, you know, we're still talking about, are we going to bring more kids in? New, new defense, man. The kids they've got playing right now, if you play the right way and you help them, uh, the kids we've got right now can, can, can go on and, and go on a run. And maybe we don't have to bring in, you know, the, the, the guys we've been talking about since day one, uh, Hannafin and, and Tanav. And, and uh, um, it, so how you play is imperative to success. Well, it'll be interesting to see how they do in the next little while here. They've got Vegas at home tonight, and uh, Vegas was one of the teams that they beat during this current seven-game streak. So uh, we'll see what we do going forward here. But like Leafs critics will say, and believe it or not, there are some Leafs critics, uh, a seven-game win streak in February doesn't mean a whole lot, especially when you've pretty much guaranteed yourselves a playoff spot already. Let's see a seven-game win streak in April, and uh, and then we'll then we'll talk, right? The guy that's impressive right now to me is Austin Matthews. He's yeah. he's uh, this kid's on fire, and he he's showing that he's showing the player that he wants to be for sure. He's playing really well. I I, I enjoy watching him play right now. And you got to give Marner a lot of credit. Uh, I, I tell you, he. Uh... He's looking for him all the time, and he's setting him up all the time. And and uh, uh, he, he's really come on the last month and a half. And uh, so don't be surprised if Marner doesn't end up leading that team in scoring by the time the season's over. Hmm. He's creeped. He's crept up now to five or six behind Nylander and uh, and Matthews. And uh, I, I love how he plays. Yeah. Well, changing topics a little bit. Uh, there is another Toronto team that's. Uh, in the news a bit right now the blue jays have hit spring training in dunedin florida and we just sort of want to give some uh you know thoughts to what we expect from the jays this year coming off an 89 win season 
they uh, made the wild card, but then they got swept in two straight by Minnesota. But uh, Gary, what are your thoughts as this team really starts to get going here for 2024? Well, I'm optimistic. I, I you know, I, I think that uh, they've got the pieces there. Certainly, the, the the starting rotation will be as good as anybody in baseball uh, if they stay healthy, and that, that's always a key. And and uh, last year, they, they certainly, uh, they were healthy all year. And, and, and uh, you know, those starters uh, had great seasons. And, uh, you know, they're all back. Um, uh, pretty much, they're pretty much the same on the back end in, in terms of their uh, relief pitching. And, and uh, you know, it, it, it was strong last year as well. Um, so, I, I, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, that they can, they can make some noise. Um, you know, uh, Vladdy has to... He has to be the Vladdy of a couple of years ago, and not not the Vladdy that we saw last year. Yeah. Uh, he and Biggio, or he and uh, Bo, rather, um, the, the, you know, they they in the middle of that lineup, they're key. And I think uh, I think this Turner kid they batted, uh, he, he's going to be helpful as well. He, he's a real pro, and apparently he's great in the dressing room. He's a real leader. He, he's he's kind of the the uh, adult, He'd be the adult in the room. I think. And, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I think he'll be helpful. Um, they're they're loaded in, in infielders, uh, and, and they they don't have a lot of outfield uh, depth. So I think uh, they're going to have to, you know, they're going to have to uh, add some uh, some people in the outfield uh, and, and maybe uh, unload some of the kids and gut in the infield. The the the, the signing in the off season uh, in the infield was that kid Kiner Falefa. Uh, they got him from the Yankees. He's a kid who can play anywhere in the infield. Looks like they've got him penciled in right now at third base. Um, so uh, it uh, it'll be interesting. Um, I think Schneider, the manager, uh, probably on a short leash, uh, and uh, I think he's known that. Um, you know, you got Don Mattingly uh, sitting a few feet away, and uh, although he's taken him to the as you said, the playoff in two two consecutive years, um, I, I think they're expecting this team to go further, and uh, so it'll be interesting to see if, if they uh, come out of the gate strong. Um, you know, th- th- there won't be any issues, but if they uh, if they stumble coming out, we'll see uh, we'll see what happens. What are you thinking, Lance? Spring training is a big time of year for them to get ready and stuff. So I don't know. You know, their key guys like you know, Vladdy and, uh, and Bichette and all them are still going to be in place. Um, like I said, I hope Jensen's back and he's gone because he was pretty strong. Kirk, I guess, uh, is, is Kirk back again behind the plate? Yeah, that's their, that's their two catchers, Jensen and Kirk. Yeah, so Kirk, I like him. He's he's, he's a competitor. He's kind of an interesting guy to watch. But uh, um, I, I think I think they're going to be strong in, in many areas. I, like you say, outfield, we'll see. But um, the, the the manager, um, I'm not sure how you know, his lease would probably be short. But he, you know, he walks the party line with that with those with the guys who run the team there. So I don't, I don't, I think he's got a pretty good opportunity to be there for the whole year. Yeah. Well, the hiring of Schneider seemed to almost be more in uh, relation to how he had managed those young guys like Vladdy and Bo in the minors and. You know, they, they apparently loved him so much and they had so much respect for him. So then when the managerial job came open with the Jays, Schneider got it. And the talk was, oh, th- th- these kids 
flourished under him in the minors and and now they're going to do the same in MLB and yeah I mean Bo's done great Vladdy's been sort of off and on um but uh, sometimes I worry a little bit that maybe those guys are a little bit uh, too comfortable with Schneider as their manager especially Vladdy thinking that he can get away with stuff um I'd almost rather again I Maybe I'm old school, but I'd almost rather see someone like a like a like a Sparky Anderson or you know an old grizzled veteran guy like that to uh, you know get these twenty five thirty year olds get a fire lit under them and and let them know that uh, there's no room for just messing around here. Well, the management now it works under. Uh- analytics i think a lot they've got so many things that they look at now to analyze the game and stuff that they're utilizing to try to you know uh make the right decisions in games like last year i I just felt that you know pulling some pitchers at the wrong time and different things like that because of the number of pitches they have thrown or you know the analytics of what they're going to come up against i see that a lot not just with the jays but all through the league they're always working with taking you know making these moves that they have to make when just you know sometimes just let the guy play play through it and stuff and let you know the right people in the right positions do their job but it seems like there's a lot more managing that goes on with in regards to the analytics that are coming up you know coming at them during you know what they're looking at analytics wise for how they're managing those teams yeah i, I agree lad the, the game was played for a hundred years on on feel and uh and not analytics and uh yeah you know, I, I think there's certainly a place for them uh, but there's also still a place for, uh, you know, the situation and, and, and uh, you know, making a decision based on what you're seeing instead of looking at numbers. And uh, so I, I, I do agree with that. Um, and, uh, you know, I, as far as uh, as far as Schneider, um, you know, I, I think if anything, he's got to make them more accountable. Right. And, and Vladdy is a perfect example. Uh, you know, when he doesn't run out a ground ball, and, and uh, you know, that, that drives me crazy. Uh, it, it, you know, you shouldn't be allowed to jog down to first base and get about three-quarters of the way there and turn around and come back to the dugout. Uh, that, that's just not how to play. Um, and uh, so I, I, I say I, I'm not sure the kid his entire career uh, has ever been held accountable. Uh, he, he's always been, you know, the, the best player, and, and he, he's pretty much been allowed to, to do what he wants to do, and I, I'm getting a little tired of his act. I'm tired of the ice being thrown on, t- you know, on, on the guy's head. Uh, and the interviews after the game, I, I you know, I, I just, uh, I think he he got to take it a little bit more serious, a little bit more focused, and, and maybe he will. Maybe after last season, uh, recognizing that he didn't have the year that uh, you know that anybody expected or, or wanted, or I'm sure that he wanted. Uh, that uh, he's got to come back and be a little bit different uh, in terms of his approach. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing is that they're going to have the umpires still call balls and strikes or not. They just <laughs> tune around that square thing they put out there to show you where the ball went over the yeah. plate or not. That ought to be something to see someday. I think that's coming, though. I mean, that's going to be a whole other topic, too, uh, as we move forward. Uh, yeah, baseball umpires... Uh, more than any other sport it feels like especially like the home plate umpires are just under so much uh scrutiny with that you know that little box that 
they put on TV now. And uh, yeah, it's it'll be interesting to see too this year. And and again, this will be a future topic. But they've uh, they've taken that pitch clock and um, um, shortened it again from twenty seconds between pitches to eighteen. Like oh. they're minor tinkering now, but uh, you know it's two extra seconds. Uh, but that that'll be another topic. Uh, moving forward here is that was that the rule for this year randy is it is it down to 18 for i believe it is yeah for with runners on base gary with runners on base i think it's down to 18 it might still be 20 uh when there's no one on base but they they have they have shortened it even more and what's interesting is you know they wanted to shorten the games just make the games go quicker and and they did that they they took the average time uh from two years ago and shortened it by 24 minutes a game last year, which is, that's remarkable. And so now you've got games being played in, I think it's two hours and 40 minutes. So they've done a great job of making the games go faster, but now they're trying to make it even faster. And I don't know if they really need to do it. I mean, baseball's a, a pretty good game to watch now for me, um, but I, I guess we'll just, have to see how much tinkering they can do before things start going sideways. But again, a whole other topic. Um, uh, anyway, so yeah, so it'll be it'll be fun to to watch the Jays. I mean, they've made the playoffs last year, and that was a real disappointing end against uh, the Twins there in the wild card when they only scored one run in in two games, and uh, their season ended. Um, their bats, their bats were gone. There for some reason, they just they just couldn't hit, they just couldn't hit. Yeah, the, the power was very inconsistent last year. So yeah, so I'm not sure. I'm not sure they had an identity at, at offensively. You know, they um, they weren't a power hitting ball club, and they weren't a station to station ball club. Um, you know, I, and uh, I think you you've got to be one or the other. And I don't think they were that they were either, quite frankly, and and. Uh, so it was a disappointing season last year offensively, for sure. Yeah. Well, a few weeks ago, we uh, talked about um, Gary's most memorable moment of, of, of an event that he has uh, seen, be it on TV or live. And uh, today we thought we would uh, talk about mine because the uh, 40, no, 57-year anniversary of my event is coming up next week. And it was the first NHL game I ever saw. And I just got to tell you guys about it because it was, you know, obviously something that stayed with me since I was seven years old. Um, it was uh, March 4, 1967, and the Leafs were hosting in Chicago at Maple Leaf Gardens. And, you know, here's a little seven-year-old me, big hockey fan since I could remember, but had only seen NHL games on our grainy black and white television in our living room in Preston, Ontario. And so one night my dad takes me down to Toronto and, uh, you know, walking into that arena and, uh, and seeing the ice for the first time. And then the, the Leafs come out in their, you know, brilliant blue uniforms and the Blackhawks come out in those classic uniforms, the white with, you know the the hawk on the front and and it was just the color was the first thing that blew me away and then of course the the sound of the crowd 
Uh, I remember Bobby Hull that night. Every time Bobby Hull got the puck racing down that left wing, the crowd, the, 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 the sound of the crowd the, the, would just sort of build and it was sort of a crescendo of sound. And before the game, I got uh, some autographs. I got uh, Mike Walton and Eddie Shack down at ice level um, during the pregame warm-up, and I got them to sign my program. And, and then the most special thing of the whole night, as it turned out, it was Terry Sawchuk's 100th career shutout. And that was pretty special. I mean, I was a big Terry Sawchuk and Johnny Bauer fan back in those days. And uh, Sawchuk gets his 100th shutout. Leafs win three to nothing. Sawchuk is the first star. Pete Stemkowski was the second star. And Tim Horton was the third star. And just what a memory and something that's uh, stayed with me forever. And again, 57 years ago next week and a uh, pretty special night for me. That's, that's special, Randy. Did you, what, what was the cost of the ticket at that time? Do you think? <laughs> oh gosh. I, I remember we were, we were fairly high up is all I really remember. Um, honestly, I'm, I'm going to guess maybe three bucks, Lance. Three bucks. <laughs> I, 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 I don't really remember. Um, I, 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 one thing I do remember about that night, I think we went to, we went to a Harvey's right near Maple Leaf Gardens, uh, to get a, a burger. And it was one of the, I think one of the first Harvey's in Ontario. And, um, my dad was talking about how these Harvey's burgers were really good. So I, I remember that too. And the Harvey's burger was probably 50 cents if that <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny because I know that uh, uh, when I first broke into the league, there was still the the original Maple Leaf Gardens, and the Forum was still there, and the Blackhawks Arena was still there, the old stadium. And I, you know, going into those buildings as a seven year old would be spectacular. But even myself coming in at as a referee to do my first game in, in Maple Leaf Gardens, the first time I ever seen Maple Leaf Gardens, I remember that game vividly. It was mm-hmm. amazing. You know, so although the original buildings always held some special, something special at the time when you got a chance to be in those buildings, and you you know, so I, I think that'd be pretty remarkable for a seven-year-old. I know myself being out west, we only had to see it on TV. So yeah, well, yeah, the the gardens was an iconic spot. There, there's no question, and and uh, in that era, uh, you know, that it, 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 uh, I look back on it as well, and and, and uh, you know, very very fond memories. Um, of going to gar- going to the gardens, um, I can remember lining up outside, and uh, they'd open the doors at, at uh, six o'clock, and you would run, you would run. It would be like a stampede uh, coming into the gardens because you were trying to get up to the end blues, where you could stand up against the wall, and, and that was that was like a key spot. You know, if you, if you didn't have a seat, the end blues was a place to stand, and uh, it, it was uh, it was a bedlam uh, getting up there. And then once you got your spot, uh, you you weren't going to the washroom or you weren't weren't going to get a hot dog, yeah. uh, because you you never get it back. And uh, you know that 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 was so fun. Um, I remember the bunker uh, where where Harold Ballard and and King Classy would uh, would sit for all the games. Um, the hot stove lounge. Uh, we we were we were in there a couple times with uh, Laurier events. We'd go down. 
Uh, interestingly, uh, Harold Jr., Harold Ballard Jr., and Bill Ballard, uh, Harold's sons, uh, both went to Laurier. Both played football at Laurier. Hmm. And and the greatest memory I have of the gardens uh, was Harold Jr. Uh, this would have been back probably in 1971. He took a bunch of us who played intramural hockey at Laurier, and he took us to the gardens, and uh, and we played. We we got out on the ice, and, and uh, we uh, we had a pickup game at, at Maple Leaf Gardens, and it was like a huge, huge thrill. Hmm. And uh, I'll, I'll certainly never forget that. But uh, it's cool. It's cool. The building is still there, um, and, and I'm glad they still have a rink upstairs where the the, the PWHL is playing. Um, but uh, yeah, it it, uh, it it was quite a spot, and and as you say, Lance, the, those original buildings, the Forum, and and uh, um, you know they uh, they certainly were uh, they they were legendary, and, and some of the games played there, um, you know, some of the greatest games of all times that uh, you know will uh, will always remember. I got to go to the gardens in Edmonton. It was called the Edmonton Gardens. It was the Lone Kings played there, but well, that was pretty special when you were a kid to go there and watch them play. I remember we used to sneak in all the time somehow to get in the building. <laughs> there was these we used to go up to these high rafters to go up there and, and watch the game from there and try to make sure the antenna didn't catch us. But uh that was the Edmonton Gardens in Edmonton with the with the Lone Kings. That was our that was our gardens. Hmm. Cool. Well again, the the thing I remember most about that night for me was uh just being so close to these players for the first time ever and i mean these were guys i'd only seen on tv in black and white and and before the game i'm right down at ice level and there's again there's harry sodchuk there's johnny bauer there's dave keon there's frank mahovlich literally within five ten feet of me and uh, oh you guys would like this so this was pretty special i got uh, my my program oh props though I got my program signed that night. I don't know if you can see it. Mike Walton and uh, Eddie Shack have both signed it there over Frank Mahovlich's shoulder. So that was pretty neat. I've still got that. And and uh, again, Terry Sawchuk gets his 100 shutout. And a few years ago, my wife, knowing I'm a big Sawchuk fan, got me uh, a replica uh, Sawchuk mask uh, that wasn't the real... Uh, mask that he wore obviously it's it's replica it's it's fiberglass it's it's apparently supposed to be exactly like the the sawchuck mask that he wore uh that night so that's pretty special and uh yeah what a great memory and you know i mean i i took my own kid to his first nhl game when he was six uh knowing what that memory had meant to me when i was seven i i wanted to take brody to a a game when he was uh, a kid as well so we went to a red wings game when he was six years old and Hopefully that's something he'll remember forever too. No, sh showing that mask um, when you think of it back then, um, you know, Sachuk was one of the few that that uh, you know that, that that wore them. I think Jock Plot might have been the first. Yeah. Um, but you you, th you think of his his goalie partner there, Johnny Bauer. Uh, he never wore a mask, and and how in the world back then, uh, you know, they were able to play that position, Glenn Hall. You know, who would play sixty-five games a year, or seventy games a year out of the the, the you know the games they played, um, and how they didn't get seriously seriously injured uh, is is remarkable. Remember Jerry Cheevers? Oh yeah, remember his, his mask, and he'd have stitches 
all the st- all the places he got hit on the mask. <laughs> if he didn't have the mask on, they all would have been stitches in his face. Yeah. So, yeah, just uh, the the game was different. The game was different back then, and and uh, but every bit as exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Great memory. Uh, let's move on. It was uh, a good week of curling in Calgary for the Scotty's Hearts. And uh, we briefly touched on the Hearts last week. Um, but it, in the end, it was a, a, a great week for Rachel Homan. Wins her first Scotty's Hearts since 2017. Uh, great week for Jennifer Jones, even though she uh, came up a little bit short in the final. Um, and and lost five four to Homan in the final, and then uh, it was Jones' last appearance. She's retiring now. Uh, but Gary, I know you're a big curling fan, and and you curl as well. And uh, I'm sure you watched a lot of the Hearts. What did you think? Yeah, I, I watched. Uh, I, I did watch a lot, and, and uh, you know, it was. Uh, I think it was appropriate that uh, you know Homan and 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 Jen Jones played in the final. Um, I think they were the, the, the two best teams all week. Uh, Holman has had an unbelievable season. Uh, boy, oh boy, I think he's maybe only lost four or five uh, games all year. And, uh, you know, she, she was going to be pretty tough to beat. Um, and, uh, you know, they went right down virtually to the last rock uh, of, of the final. And, uh, you know, it, uh, it was very, very exciting. Um, it would have been wonderful to see, you know, see Jen uh, hoist the trophy for the for the seventh time, and a, and a great way to go out. But uh, I think the, the the fans there in Calgary they they that they gave her a, a great ovation and and uh, certainly recognize what uh, what she's meant to the game and and uh, you know the career that she's had. She she played this thing this year with three young kids uh, that. Uh, it was uh, it was a new team totally for her, and uh, you know to get to the final uh, with, with that uh, with that team was was a, a great great effort, and uh, so it uh, it'll be uh, it'll be sad to see her move on, but I, I guess she's going to still play mixed doubles with her husband, but uh, I, I think uh, we've seen the end of uh, of Jennifer Jones, and it was a remarkable career. Yeah, that, that last game there, that, that was a good, that was some curling in that last game. Coming down that last rock, she just both pulled it off. It was pretty close. Yeah, if she gets that one in there, I, I don't think Holman, it's, uh, I think she's, yeah. uh, she's got it. You know, I mean, it's, it's only a matter of, of inches. But yeah, so, yeah uh, that's. It was, it was, it was, it was the whole, the whole tournament was run really well. And it was had a lot of excitement in that whole tournament throughout the whole week. Yeah. I, I've had the, the the thrill of covering three hearts over the years. Uh, London around the mid-80s. Uh, then uh, Waterloo hosted the hearts in 1994, the Waterloo Rec Complex. There were, uh, you know, the Laurier teams played, Gary. That was 94. Mm-hmm. And that was uh, won by uh, Sandra Peterson, uh, the, that great curler who passed away a few years later with cancer. And uh, that was a great event. And then uh, the Kitchener Auditorium hosted the Hearts in 2003. And uh, Colleen Jones won that. And uh, those those events are just fantastic. One thing I wish, I, I wish the Hearts would come back to Southern Ontario more. In the last 
I think 18 years, it has only been in Southern Ontario one time. And that was in St. Catharines about uh, maybe seven years ago. And I, I wish I wish it would come. I mean, you got some great curling markets down here and, you know, Kitchener, London, yeah. Tor- Toronto, Hamilton, Windsor. I mean, it, you got, you've got some great venues. It'd be wonderful to see that event uh, come to Southern Ontario more often than it does. Yeah, it, it certainly would. Um, it, interestingly, I I, uh, I spoke yesterday to uh, to Danielle Inglis, who was Ontario's uh, other representative at, at the Scotties, and, and she's actually she won Ontario this year. Um, Holman, uh, she got a, a special invite, um, and I'm not sure the criteria for that, but uh, well, she certainly deserved to be there. But uh, regardless, uh, Danielle won Ontario. Um, and the, the connection there is, is uh, she's she's a Laurier grant, and uh, she uh, she won two national championships at Laurier. Um, she's got a really decorated uh, curling career uh, behind her, and, and uh, she now works for uh, for Curling Canada. Um, and, and the reason I was speaking to her is uh, I'm going to feature her on my my Facebook. Uh, uh, page next uh, next Thursday as uh, an outstanding Laurier athlete, but uh, um, she uh, she had a very strong tournament, and uh, uh, it would be interesting to see her going forward. Uh, she, that, that's her that's her first time actually curling at uh, at the Scotties. Mm. Uh, she's been there two other times, two other occasions as an alternate. But uh, um, anyhow, it was a great experience for her. A couple of years ago, I think the Ontario Scotties was held up your way, wasn't it, Gary? Wasn't it Port Elgin or somewhere up there? Yeah, 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 it was. It was in, in, in Port. Well, hopefully we can get a, a national Scotties into uh, Port Elgin or Southampton. Maybe you could maybe you could help uh, organize that. Yeah, I'll get, I'll get on that. <laughs> All right, fellas, we are uh, we are pretty much out of time here. Yeah, we we are. And uh <laughs> another uh, discussion with lots of topics and it goes by quickly and uh we always want to remind you to uh, like subscribe and, and comment on our show here and you can always reach us it's very easy to do you can reach us uh on, on an email at what do you know about sports at gmail.com and uh any feedback that uh, we have had we have all read it and we have all appreciated it and uh, we've tried to make some uh, changes and we've tried to uh, take some of your suggestions and, and make them work. And uh, yeah, so please get a hold of us through that Gmail address. And uh, next week, we've got something uh, that's going to be a little bit different, a little bit special. And Gary, why don't you tell us about it? Yeah, ne- next week, we're going to have a, a special guest, of the, the, the first guest that we've uh, we brought on. Um, and... Uh, He's uh, he's some someone that's uh, certainly very very well known in the in the KW region and 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 really right, right across the country. Um, David Tuffy Knight uh, is going to be our our guest next week and and uh, I just spoke to him here a few days ago. He, he's down in Florida uh, playing golf two or three times a week and, and uh, but uh, he's. Uh, he, he was uh, very agreeable to, to coming on. I, I I heard his wife in the background when I asked him, and and uh, she 
she hollered, how, how long is the show? And I, I said, well, we'd, we'd usually are on there for about 40 minutes. And she said, that's not enough time. <laughs> was, we'll, we'll just introduce Tuffy and, and, and just, uh, just let him go. And, uh, but, uh, he's, uh, he's a, a great character. Uh, you know, one of the great coaches in, in, uh, in Laurier, Laurier history and, in in, in, uh, you know, youth sport history, uh, football coach and, and, uh, he, uh, he'll be very entertaining. So I, I, I can't wait. All right. Looking forward to that. Me too. Fellas, have a great week, and we'll talk to you next Tuesday.